this sermon is about angels, demons, and humans. Um, and look, already, oh, um, and um, it's, it is unique. Um, we, these are words that commonly get used in our faith. Um, there, it's not new language for any of us to hear those words, but it would be new for many of us to actually talk about that, uh, especially that second one. So we're going to talk about that today, um, process that will be um, we'll be all over the place, similar to last week. I'm just being honest. Um, I've uh, I've decided in the slides for this, the sermon, excuse me, the verses of scripture that kind of become our anchor verses for this sermon will have a blue background, and the ones that are supporting it will have a gray background. Oh yes, color coordination for the saints. Um, I want to pray for us though before we go into it, and then we'll jump in. God, we thank you because you have already been moving here, Jesus. Thank you. Your presence, Holy Spirit, is powerful, beautiful, and awe-inspiring, and we are in awe of you, God. We thank you. We give you this time and everything connected to what's about to happen. Be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen want to remind us of why we're in this sermon series, and I think it's going to be important for us to come back to thinking about this every single week. Um, it's about shared understanding, shared language, and shared experience. Because we, have, we all come from so many different backgrounds, we have to start speaking explicitly about the spirit realm, or we won't experience the same thing in the spirit realm. And when we do experience it, we won't know what we're experiencing. So shared understanding, shared language, shared experience. uh, And that's what it looks like for us to be on one accord. It's not just to gather in a room and sing a song together. That is singing a song together. And it can be a tool in bringing us on one accord, right? But it, it, it in and of itself isn't one accord. Shared understanding, shared language, shared experience brings us to the same place at the same time. Uh, Another reminder, um, just looking, these books uh, will be good. Um, The red one is what we'll be going through here in a little while. So if that's something you're interested in, diving deeper, getting some more language for this, that's a good book for us. And the last picture, just kind of reminding us from last week, this is what the biblical writers thought of as it relates to the spirit realm. This is what that looks like. Um, And it's an important image for us to kind of keep going back to because it's okay for us to know that there are a whole bunch of other ways (laughs) to look at spirit realm stuff. It is. It's just a whole bunch of other ways for us to look at that. But when we read scripture, the Bible that we read it's written with this kind of thing in mind. So that's something we're going to constantly go back to. Um, yeah. Let's jump in. The first thing is going to be a surprising and shocking thing. So let's look at it. Scripture does not encapsulate all there is to know about the spirit realm. That's a hard thing for some people to hear. 
We'll talk about it for a second because it's important for us when we talk about where we're going. That's not different than everything in the natural realm. Scripture does not encapsulate all there is to know about nature. It doesn't. And that's not the purpose of Scripture. The purpose of Scripture is to reveal the heart of God for our relationship with Creator God and how we are to live that out with one another. And it doesn't need to encapsulate all that there is about nature to do that. It's okay. It doesn't need to encapsulate all that there is about the spirit realm to do that too. Here's where it gets a little bit challenging for us. Many of us have not ever processed that truth. We've processed the natural one and we Google things when we want to figure out about photosynthesis. Because trust me, the Bible says nothing about photosynthesis. Zero things about it. (laughs) But we know it's a thing and when we need to understand it, we'll Google it, right? But we have been in some ways feared into not actually understanding the spirit realm. And in many ways, there are witches that know more about the spirit realm than we do. And I know that, oh, but it's just true. Just like scientists may make a religion of the study of atoms and the study of subatomic particles, Witches make a religion of the study of the spirit realm, playing around in there, moving and manipulating things that we have no idea about because we've feared ourselves away from understanding. And it's an okay thing for us to know. It actually humbles us to seek God a bit more when we say scripture does not encapsulate all there is to know about the spirit realm. So that means I have some extra work to do in seeking you, Father. (laughs) That means I have some extra things I need to do in asking. But what does it encapsulate? Scripture does encapsulate all we need to see our role in the spirit realm. And there's a difference between understanding everything and seeing our role. All throughout both the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we see our role as humans played out in the spirit realm. So we always can go back to it. So as I do work to understand the spirit realm, if it doesn't align with the role of humanity I see in Scripture, pause, wait. (laughs) Maybe I'm not supposed to be dabbling in that, playing around in that. For many of us, that gets gray and confusing because that's the first time you've ever heard that. Remember a couple weeks ago we said take a breath? Take a breath. It's okay. It's all right for us to be humble enough to say that we need to seek the Lord to understand more here. But one of the best ways in which we understand the spirit realm, kind of like scientists, biologists, Zoologists have a study of the natural realm. Stories become the best way for us to understand the spirit. I I had a pastor pun moment, which is kind of like a dad joke times 50. (laughs) It's like, 
the information is stored in the stories. <laughs> so, <laughs> all, and all the dads said, yeah. No. <laughs> the infer- how we understand the rhythms of the spirit realm is stored in our stories about the spirit realm. And that's just the truth. That's how that works. There is no microscope for, this, for the spirit. Doesn't work. There is no barometer. There is no thermometer. There's no any kind of meter about the spirit realm. And it becomes the patterns played out in stories that we understand what is not explicitly said in scripture. And so today we'll hear a couple stories. Um, because they're going to help us along as we process this together. First thing, what are angels? Y'all like angels. <laughs> Especially the way that we see them in sitcoms, because everybody's got one or two. <laughs> um, and, um, and I look, I like angels too. There's a few places in Scripture where we kind of see the role of angels in the spirit realm. And I think it's also okay for us to know that there is a complex order to all of the spirit realm as it relates to heavenly beings, including angelic ones. We will not be diving in that deep today. Just being honest. If you want to go deeper, get those books, right? That's okay. We're not going to go that deep today, but we're going to have a basic understanding. Um, I'm going to point to Psalm 91. <clears throat> uh, if you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. This is a a portion of scripture that they were mocking Jesus with, um, right? It's like, if you are the son of God, well then, like tell, you know, uh, Satan said that if you're this, you know, if that's really who you are, like tell the son of God to, I mean, tell God to send his angels for you, right? Like throw yourself off this mountain, you'll be all right. Um, and that's because that's a part of the role of angels is to actually be with us. There's another portion of scripture in Hebrew. I want to also make sure I point out the context of this one. This is an argument for Jesus being greater than angels, right? So I think it's important if you read all of chapter one of Hebrews, you'll see that the writer of Hebrews is like, yo, Jesus is better than angels. For some of y'all out here trying to worship angels, Jesus is better than them, right? And that's why this writer says, therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. The role between angels and humans, while there is a complex order to angelic beings, the relationship that we see most regularly and dynamically in Scripture is they're embodied slash visible spirits purposed by Creator God for the care and support of humans. That's what we see regularly. There are a couple of exceptions. In Exodus, you see this thing, that this, these words called the angel of the Lord, That shows up in a number of different places in the Old Testament. 
I'm telling you, anytime in your Bible where it says the angel of the Lord, it's not talking about an angel. It's talking about Jesus. <laughs> it's actually talking about God interacting with. So Abraham got visited by the angel of the Lord and two other angels. They were led by the pillar of fire and followed by the pillar of cloud, which was described as the angel of the Lord. Gideon having a conversation with the angel of the Lord. The best way for us to really wrap our minds around who they were talking with is that's actually God. <laughs> And there is another exception, angel of the church of dot, dot, dot in Revelation. The first three chapters of Revelation, there's letters to these churches, and they'll say the angel of the church. And that's actually just the messenger and or leader, the pastor. And the reality is like, it's, I, I like cringe at saying this because of how we feel about angels. But in terms of what that looks like in Revelation, that's me. Right? Just the messenger, the one who is speaking on behalf of God about what's going on in that church and in that community. That's all. Right? Doesn't mean any superpowers beyond anything else other than the body of Christ. But that's what is the, the letters are being written to. It says, tell the angel of the church of Ephesus this. Those are the exceptions. But the rule is they are embodied slash visible, because sometimes the body looks different. <laughs> sometimes it's a cloud. <laughs> sometimes it's a person. Sometimes it's whatever. It's an embodied slash visible spirits purposed by creator God with the care and support of humans. That's how they interact with us. I'm actually going to invite Aaron up here to kind of uh, share a story um, with us. So... Um, you, many of you have been praying with Aaron through Aaron's life <laughs> um, and celebrating. Yeah, you need that one. <laughs> uh, and celebrated um, her baptism. The interesting thing about that baptism is I had like two or three people come up to me and like afterwards say, did you see the light? <laughs> like, there was a light around the baptism pool when, uh, when you were being baptized, which was great. Um, at some point in your faith journey, um, Aaron and I were texting and we were talking about a coping mechanism that she had, um, which um, was some pills. Um, she texted me and she said that she, um, Jesus is telling her that it's time to be done with the pills. So, um, and, and we kind of talked about that a little bit. And, and the funny part was, she was like, do I have to? And I was like, well, <laughs> like, let's say it this way. If we don't, that's going to always be the ceiling on your trust of God, right? So, um, so uh, she, she decided it was time to be done, um, and I brought my um, uh, little bonfire thing um, into the parking lot, made little envelopes out of paper. Um, <laughs> uh, she wrote some letters um, to, the, to them because it was a grieving process as well. This is some way in which she's been coping with hard things. Um, we prayed, and then we burned them. Um, we don't know if it was legal or not. We don't know if it was legal. <laughs> we don't know if it was legal. But it's okay because we was doing what Jesus had to do. <laughs> we was getting rid of them <laughs> in the way that made the most sense. <laughs> Burn them jokers. So <laughs> that no creature may find them in the, in the waters. 
<laughs> so, um, and we prayed here, and we celebrated, and then, um, and then you went home, and then you can take it from there, because there was an experience after that. Yes, when I um, got into our home, it was, uh, I was, I think I cried the whole way home, because I was kind of regretting what we did. Um, those pills were always my backup plan. If I, if this world got too much, I was going to use my pills to not have to be in this world anymore. And so I felt very vulnerable that I didn't have that backup plan anymore. And so I was crying and upset. And then <clears throat> I walked into our home and it was super warm and light and it was kind of weird, um, but kind of felt good. So I was fine with it and said hi to our dogs. And then kind of, it was super bright in our bedroom, so I kind of just like walked in there, and then in the corner, very clearly was an angel, um, and I immediately got down on my knees and couldn't really look at him, because um, it was so bright, but also super comforting, and super peaceful, and he said to me, <clears throat> you are forgiven, you are free, you are loved, and rest in these truths, child. Yeah, it was yeah. great. <laughs> so, so she, um, you texted me, um, and you said his name in the text, and she told me about this thing, she, and she said his name, which was Zadkiel, which I'm like, listen, I don't know enough about angels, so I'm about to Google that. <laughs> I was being honest, listen, you know what, here's the truth. But Jewish and Catholic cultures know way more about angels than we do because that's a study and something that's a part of their tradition. But as Protestants, that's just not something we do for real. Um, and that's okay for us to know that. I was like, listen, I need to Google this one. So the archangel Zadkiel is renowned for his compassion and willingness to give up. People seek to him for guidance and strength in rejecting negative life choices and embracing positive and well-being as a result of his guidance and strength. We can always rely on him to keep us from straying into sin. A beautiful soul lies within each and every one of us. All we need is guidance on how to live a happy and healthy life. Archangel Zadkiel is aware of our human frailty and our propensity to make errors. He understands that everyone makes mistakes in life, but that the Heavenly Father will always be there to offer us forgiveness and mercy. With Zadkiel's help, we can forgive others for our past mistakes and move forward with our lives. To be able to forgive people who have wronged us in something he really gives us the ability to do. <laughs> to be happy, we should be able to let go of the past and look forward to the future. Forgiving individuals who have sinned and helping them toward a happier life are two aspects of this. Also, Zadkiel helps us recall what's most important so that we can focus on what really matters to us. Which, when I read that, I was like, hmm. <laughs> so... Yeah, and I called her right away. So thank you for sharing. I wanted to just share that part too. Thanks, Aaron. <laughs> so here's what I'm not telling you to do. I'm not telling you, go pray to Zadkiel. <laughs> That's not a thing. Nope, not saying that. But what I am saying is if in Scripture we see a pattern of embodied or visible spirits purposed by Creator God, for the care and support of humans, and a human needs care and support, and one shows up, says his name, and the description is someone who helps you get rid of bad habits. <laughs> That's a part of the story 
that I'm talking about. I'm not saying go pray and ask Zadkiel for help. Nope, I'm not saying that. I think that probably goes a step farther than what we see in Scripture. But what I am saying, if the Lord sends an angel, then receive it as a blessing. Just as much as if the Lord instructs one of us as humans to text and or check in on somebody, it's the exact same concept. Right? And because we've feared each other away from, right, There's, there is a reality that even as Christians, we've feared each other away from idolatry to the point where we won't talk about other spirits. And it's okay for us to know there's a line here. Every time, any time in scripture where any human is engaged with an angel and they start worshiping him, the angel says, hey, wait, ah, that's not me, <laughs> right? That's one of my favorite parts of Revelation. John starts worshiping an angel and the angel's like, yo, don't get up. That ain't, that ain't it. Please do not put that pressure on me because I'm not going to get kicked out. <laughs> Listen, I'm just here to give you a message, bro. <laughs> Stand up. <laughs> But why would we not expect the same God of Scripture to also send us angels to give us messages if God's sending people angels in, the, in Scripture? Why would we not expect that? Why would we not imagine that that's possible? Why would we cut ourselves off from the idea of that being there if that's the Bible we read? Because then we got to really throw away every verse that has that in there if that's not something that we anticipate. So we get to yeah, celebrate with our sister that she made a choice, but we also get to celebrate that God sent some backup because <laughs> that choice is not easy. That's how we see angels working in Scripture. Not the only way, right? We're not going to go through all the ways, but that's a way we see. And that was a few months ago. Right? That's not several years ago and deep, deep in human history. That was just a few months ago. Let's keep moving. Next question. What are fallen angels, demons, evil, unclean spirits? <laughs> um, I intentionally have fallen angels as the big part because that's what that is. <laughs> kind of the answer is embedded in the question. Um, because we oftentimes just use the word demons for getting the fallen angel part. Um, and even as we're reading through scripture, um, normally we're reading here, we're reading the New Living Translation, and it uses the word evil before spirit when referring to something being cast out of a person. Um, and I think it's okay for us to say something else that might shake us up a little bit. <sighs> Ready? Breathe with me. Not every demon is inherently evil. They all are inherently rebellious, <laughs> right? That's what that means. To be fallen means that they had a will that was the Father's will, and they went in an opposite direction. So that's what it means to be fallen. So inherently, that means rebellious to the Father. But it doesn't mean that Every single time we're in it, we're there, we think of demon, we need to think of the exorcism of Emily Rose. Because then, when we do that, 
when we have that in our imagination, we're only looking for the exorcism of Emily Rose, and we're not looking for the ones that don't actually look like that, the ones that aren't actually trying to twist your back, (laughs) the ones that are just trying to get a ride. And if all we imagine is what the caricature of media shows us of demons, then trust me, trust me, just like we might be entertaining angels unaware, we might be entertaining fallen ones unaware too, especially if we're looking for, only looking for the worst of. (laughs) I want to make sure I say this again. Just like not every human is inherently evil, not every demon is inherently evil, but because of what it means to be fallen, it just means inherently rebellious. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that is now. So in Jude, we see this interesting scripture. Jude only has one chapter. And this is in verse 6. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of God, of a excuse me, of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. This is not as cut and dry as we like to imagine, fam. Here's why I say it's not as cut and dry. I'm going to take you to a portion of scripture in Matthew 8. Because if we look at that and say that's cut and dry, like that means they're all like in a box waiting to go to hell. Like, wait, nope. (laughs) Matthew chapter 8, Jesus, uh, it says this, when Jesus arrived on the other side of the lake in the region of Gandarines, two men were possessed by demons, met him. They lived in a cemetery and were so violent that no one could go through the area. They began screaming at him, why are you interfering with us, son of God? Have you come here to torture us before God's appointed time? That's why I say it's not as cut and dry. If we imagine that God has a lockbox for all the rebellious spirits and is waiting until the end, and then he's going to just like kick the box in there, (laughs) that makes this verse make no sense. (laughs) Right? Have you come here to torture us before God's appointed time? There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding in the distance, so the demons begged. If you cast us out, send us into that herd of pigs. All right, go, Jesus commanded them. So the demons came out of the men and entered the pigs, and the whole herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. If you've heard people preach on that portion of Scripture, they love to land at the part where the pigs die because that's the part that makes sense to us because demons drove the pigs crazy, and then the the pigs, they all drowned. And I actually want us to focus on the part before that where... They ask to go into the pigs. And Jesus says, yeah, go for it. (laughs) That does not vibe with much of what we think about casting out spirits. It doesn't vibe with much of what we think about how this is supposed to work because we've only looked at it through the lens of the exorcist. (laughs) 
the exorcism of Emily Rose, we haven't really talked about this weird blend of compassionate authority Jesus has right here. Right? Like if we were, like if we talk about it from what our cultural lens of and we cast in our spirits, it's like, you don't get to tell me where you're going. <laughs> I'm going to decide where you're going, demons. And Jesus is like, go for it. And then people rationalize, oh, it's because pigs were unclean animals and dot, dot, dot. I don't go that far. Pause for a second. Just for a moment. Jesus has this conversation with these spirits who are not locked in a lockbox waiting to be kicked into the fiery lake that is at the end. They're interacting with humans and apparently pigs. That's huge. That's huge. Like I said, not everything that we can understand about the spirit realm and even the relationship between Jesus and demons, we explicitly understand and see in Scripture. But that's a part of an interesting dynamic that we don't always bring into our interaction. But humans, we have authority in this space. And what does that look like for real? If we are, this is a part that gets probably more challenging for me personally, you know, and being honest. Um, Scripture says that Jesus um, is uh, the way, the truth, and the life. We like the way part. We definitely like the truth part but we don't always want the life part. We don't always want the life part. And what I mean by that is Jesus' life wasn't just not sinning. Jesus' life was having this interesting mix of compassionate authority in the spirit. And that part is awkward for us. We don't like that part as much. And even to the point where we just won't talk about it. (laughs) So, I want to look at this portion of Scripture in Mark, um, and then we'll actually um, end kind of in the portion of Scripture, which is going to be probably the most important for us. Mark chapter 9, 14 starts saying, when they returned to the other disciples, and this was Jesus um, and the, uh, the disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them, and some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about, Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so that you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. He then foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to him, you faithless people, exclamation point. How long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. 
But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion. Some of you know this story. And he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since, the, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire and into water, trying to kill him. Some of us have actually experienced that in this room. <laughs> have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can, Jesus asked. <laughs> Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers uh, was grow growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you, spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said, I command you to come out of his, this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into a violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with the disciples, they asked, why couldn't we cast that spirit, that evil spirit out? Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. Most of your scripture actually says by prayer and fasting. Um, I'm going to talk before we go. It's big. It's the one that shows the most power by human standards. When we can tell something to get out and it gets out, even when it, it throws a fit while it's getting out, then we know we have authority. It's not how authority works in the kingdom of God. That's not how authority works in the kingdom of God. Authority in the kingdom of God would be reflective of the fruit of the Spirit just as much as it's reflective of the gifts of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. It's not in any way love, joy, domineering sometimes. <laughs> I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. And we like to apply that to humans, right? But I'm challenging us to see what's happening in Scripture. I'm challenging us to see that in Scripture, Jesus isn't waving and screaming and hollering. He is the rule. That's what it means to have authority, is to be the rule. And you can even do that gently. <laughs> a part of why we... A part of why there are very little exorcisms in the United States is because we've drained each other trying to be forceful with something that the Spirit gives us authority to do gently. Authority doesn't mean abuse of power. Not even in the Spirit. Authority simply means I'm the rule. That's all it means. Not that I have all authority, but in this Situation right now, you, me, demon, I'm the rule because of Jesus. They were even struggling with that. We got to do this. We got to do that. There was actually another portion of scripture in Acts where there's a Jewish leader trying to do this as well. And I was like, 
in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, <laughs> I tell you to get out, evil spirit. And the spirit's like, listen, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but I have no idea who you are. <laughs> and then he beat him up. <laughs> We try to take the world's definition of authority into the spirit realm, and we get beat up. And we beat them up in the process. We beat up the person who is indwelt by the spirit in the process. But the spirit of God cultivates a fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control in us. And we get to take that with us into the spirit realm, too. That's not just for the natural. And the confidence doesn't come in how fast I can speak in tongues and how loud I can scream the Bible. It comes in the authority that comes from the Holy Spirit. So I can whisper, be gone in the name of Jesus. There's a difference between demons being in you and on you. And we need to talk about that. Scripture doesn't talk explicitly about the difference between demons being in you and on you. And sometimes we're like, well, that's the only thing is demons being in you. Possession, right? No, that's not a thing. There is one little kind of implicit portion of Scripture that says resist the devil and he will flee. That's kind of the best way that we can think about that. It's not in you. So here would... Here, it's so what the difference would look like. And this is, I mean, when I say fresh off the market here, right, fresh off the coals, um, God was talking to me about this this morning at 4.30. And I was like, God, I need to understand how to articulate the difference here. Um, and I had a really good moment with Megan this week that kind of helped to, for God to put this into words. But spiritual entities being in you oftentimes are serving a purpose that has to do with a trauma that you've experienced, also have to do with some lacking that you feel, and you have trusted that spirit to fulfill that in your life. That's what that looks like for a spirit to be in you and becomes very much intertwined with your identity. It's very difficult for you to be able to see yourself separate from that. It's a relationship inwardly that, be, and depending upon how long and how deep and how powerful and how much you need it, <laughs> becomes a part of you. And oftentimes, in more extreme cases, can take over. And you may be having a conversation sometimes with a demon, if that's the case, if that's in that person's life. That's, let's call that A, in. B, on, is I have these urges and these frustrations that I don't feel like are a part of me, but I also can't seem to shake it. <laughs> Oftentimes we say getting up on the wrong side of the bed. Sometimes you're getting up on the wrong side of the bed, and sometimes you just got a demon on your back. <laughs> That's whispering rage in your ear, spiritually. So you can't have patience. You can't have joy. Sometimes you have a demon that is just riding along, irritating your soul, not your identity. You can see yourself separate from that, but you also can't seem to shake it for some reason. I've had the privilege of being able to have 
I don't know if we call it a privilege, but conversations with demons. Privilege, and it's a learning experience for me. There's extensive stories in that. But I think most notably for myself, um, this is the last few weeks, I was talking with Lisa, and Lisa was praying with me. And, um, and for a few days wrestling with trauma that I had experienced in my past as a child. Um, and carrying around this oppressive spirit that both reminding me of that, bringing that into my dreams, processing that, and being honest about the fact that there were moments where I couldn't see myself separate from that. I couldn't see me separate from that. If I, were, if I were arrogant, I would just say, it was just riding on me. <laughs> I think the reality is it was probably a combination of both on and in. Because I couldn't see myself separate from the trauma. And in many ways, I related to that trauma as a part of my identity. And when Lisa and I were, you know, it was, it was a high moment of processing for myself and prayer, and really the Lord had done a lot of work even before getting to that prayer with Lisa, but we were having a meeting talking about programming stuff, and I was like, listen, sis, I need to pray. <laughs> like, before we go any further, I cannot pay attention to this meeting unless I pray, and we just need to pray. We talked, and we prayed, and there was a moment where she got up, and she said, can I get something off of you? Because Lisa feels, sometimes sees, <laughs> spiritual things. While I was just sitting there, she does what she's now been calling clearing it away. And she prayed, and I felt it move. And legitimately have not had that issue since. That was like two and a half weeks ago. And like to the point where this past week, I was like, sis, what did you move the other day? <laughs> like, <laughs> what was it? <laughs> and she said, I don't know if it was yours or if it was something somebody you got from somebody because when you're a pastor you're hanging around people and spirits are hanging around you too but it was some kind of lustful spirit which my trauma goes back to sexual trauma which it attached to me because it smelled bad maybe we can say it that way right smelled bad the difference between in and on has to do with how intertwined that entity is with my identity and how much I'm allowing it to fulfill a purpose in my life. Some of us in our younger years were invited by a spirit to allow some comfort to come from that demon. And you welcomed that comfort Here's the challenge either way. Welcoming a demon or having one hanging out on you, the result is very similar in that it degrades our humanity. That's the difference between the Holy Spirit being in you and any other spirit being in you. Is the Holy Spirit doesn't make you less human. It doesn't even, the Holy Spirit doesn't make you superhuman. The Holy Spirit makes us 
human, restores the humanity that God designed from day one. Well, day six. (laughs) Right? Restores the humanity that God spoke was good, which already meant having authority in the spirit realm, which already meant being able to live freely here, minus shame, minus sin, minus the power of principalities. That's always what that meant. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be able to live the way creator God said from the beginning of time. And every other spirit hitches on, degrading our humanity in the process. We feel less and less like ourselves as we have relationships with these spirits in and around us. We feel less and less human in the process too. And ultimately, every time a spirit is cast out, cleared off, it is so that the receiver of that ministry can experience freedom from that. That's what it is. It's not just because we bossing around spirits. It's, I love you, sister. I love you, brother. And whatever is in and or on you is degrading your ability to actually live in the abundance that creator God has promised us from day one. Some of you need to know the difference When talking about this, if you feel personally threatened and afraid personally that something bad is is happening to you as a result of us talking about this, more than likely it's in you because it's afraid. One of my most notable moments when having a conversation with someone when it had to do with deliverance ministry stuff was as I started to explain what the spirit was doing, the spirit was like, (laughs) got up and got super rigid and got super big real quick because they don't like being pointed out. (laughs) They like to be in darkness, silently moving and interacting with us in a way to degrade our humanity. And if you feel personally attacked by this conversation, more than likely there's one in you. And you're like, wait, I didn't know I could be a Christian and have something in me. Well, here's the thing. If our God is also gracious, if you have an intimate relationship with that spirit and don't know that that's what's happening, God's not going to just strip that from you and leave you uncared for in the process. There's this portion of scripture that Jesus is saying that if you cast out a spirit, it goes into the desert to find a place to be. If it can't find rest there, it comes back with seven more. That's what it, and they enter in and they're worse off than they were before. That's what it looks like to cast a spirit out and not fill it with anything else. (laughs) To not, if we're not asking the Holy Spirit to fill that space, if we're not, if that person doesn't actually want to be separated from what that purpose, that spirit is fulfilling in their life, 
They won't seek the Holy Spirit to fill that purpose in their life. And guess what? Seven more are coming back. And it's not the number seven. It's just a complete amount, whatever it takes to get back in. Some of us are uncomfortable. Breathe. If we don't talk about spirits this way, then what Jesus says about them makes no sense. And we ignore those portions of scripture, not because we don't understand it, sometimes because we have a spirit that doesn't want us to. A person has to want that to happen in their life. And when they want to be delivered from that spirit, they will also then welcome the spirit of God, the love of God, the light of Christ into that space that has now been vacated by a spirit filled, right? But before that happens, God is gracious and merciful. And just like he doesn't take the cigarettes out of your hand immediately when you give your life to him because it's fulfilling a purpose, He's not going to immediately take a spirit away too, but he will position you to grow deeper and deeper in love and offer surrender. Hey, do you want to let go of that? I know that you say it's fulfilling a purpose, but it's doing its job and degrading your humanity and the purpose. And that's what brings us to the last portion of Scripture. It's blue. <laughs> when the 72 disciples returned, Jesus sent them out and told them to go cast out spirits and heal people and preach the coming of the Lord, the kingdom. The 72 disciples returned. Some of y'all didn't even know there were 60 more, did you? It was like, 72? What Bible are we reading? when the 72 disciples returned they joyfully reported to him lord even the demons obey us when we use your name yes he told them i saw satan fall from heaven like lightning (laughs) look i have given you authority over the power of the enemy and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them nothing will injure injure you but don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you Rejoice because your name is registered in heaven. See, I think we like power. We do. Especially those of us who have ever felt powerless. And if we've ever felt powerless, demons like that too. Because they're like, I'll give you some power. (laughs) We like power. We like the idea that a spirit will obey me when I say it. And if it doesn't, then I'm going to get real big. And I'm going to tell it where it can go. And Jesus is like, listen, that ain't even something to be that hype about. Everybody whose name is registered in heaven can do that. (laughs) No. Rejoice in the fact that your name is registered in heaven. So if I take my focus off the power that comes from being able to tell demons what to do, then I can focus on loving this sister or this brother well in the moment. 
because that's really what's needed. The spirit, at the end of the day, every rebellious spirit will have to answer to Christ. I don't even, it's not even my job to tell them where to go. <laughs> it's just, listen, Megan has done this when we're do, ha, ha, with deliverance ministry stuff. Like, look, just go back to the Christ. Like, <laughs> just, go, just go talk to Jesus about it. Like, because it's not, a, it's not about me telling you what to do. I'm here for this human whose humanity is being degraded by your presence. So, let me love this human well and seek their freedom with them. Tuesday morning, about 4.30, uh, I woke up before my alarm and the Holy Spirit was telling me that I needed to invite people whom um, this is their reality. Either they recognize that there is a spirit in them that has been fulfilling a purpose that they want to surrender and release and experience freedom from. So experience that today. And also invite people. You know, you have, you keep waking up on the wrong side of the bed. You keep seasonally experiencing something. You can't seem to shake something that isn't quite your identity but is absolutely riding you to experience freedom. I've asked the staff and the board and the prayer team to pray since Friday. And in a moment, I'm just going to open up that invitation. Here's the thing I don't know. I don't know what happens after that other than we trust Jesus together. That was Tuesday morning that the Lord woke me up with that. And then Wednesday morning, the Lord woke me up with that too. And then this morning, waking me up talking about the difference between in and out, in and on. Which gives me some inkling that there's somebody here or somebody's here. And the day of your liberation was already marked by God Tuesday. Your freedom was marked by God Tuesday. So some of you are like, what happens next? And I don't know what to do. If that's not you, your job is to pray. This is how the body of Christ does this. We don't go off alone and go like just cast out demons. No, the body of Christ begins to pray. I'm not going to even lead that area of ministry. I'm actually going to ask Megan and Lisa to come, and I'm going to pray. Yep. <laughs> and if you don't know what to pray, let me tell you. Next week, we're going to be, you know, uh, we, the sermon will be about perceiving the Spirit and knowing spiritual gifts and how that all works. But a quick assignment, because as I invite people, you might not know what to do and you might feel awkward about what's happening. Begin to pray and whatever comes to mind as you love that person, just speak it. Your focus is on loving that person, not commanding that spirit, not telling that spirit where it can go, not cussing it out, not anything else. Your job is love the person. And we trust 
and the authority that the Spirit has given to be able to have that person be free. It's not just to, we don't trust the Holy Spirit to cast the demon out. We trust the Holy Spirit for their freedom. We trust the Spirit for their freedom. So, is there anyone here? This can be weird because it can be kind of exposing. But actually, if the two of you can come up now, that would be great. Whom you know. Okay, three of y'all. <laughs> but listen, we follow in the spirit. Listen. <laughs> you know that that's you. Something's riding you or something's intertwining you to the point where you felt like you needed to get up and leave. Which I want to invite you to actually come up here. Amen. You can begin to pray now for your sisters. You can begin to pray now for their freedom. 